Welcome to Drink Beer, Think Beer, the podcast that gets to the bottom of every pint. I'm John Hall, and this is our second annual show dedicated to home brewing. Drew Beecham and Denny Khan are here to talk about what's happening with the hobby, to answer our listeners' question, and to spread some holiday cheer. First, please go visit allaboutbeer.com. There, you can find original articles, reviews, news, insights, and podcasts. You can listen to shows like Brewer to Brewer and the All About Beer podcast simply by searching All About Beer wherever you listen to shows. And don't forget to check out This Week in Rauk Beer. That's the group that celebrates all things smoked beer. Search This Week in Rauk Beer on Facebook or follow at TW Rauk Beer on Instagram. And you can get decked out on all of the smoked beer merch you need by visiting allaboutbeer.com slash merch. You can also find other great beer drinking glassware and even our official ball cap. This show and all of the work we do, it's supported by you. You can go visit patreon.com slash allaboutbeer, and a few bucks goes a long way to help keep the content fresh and to fund writers, photographers, creators, and editors. And if you'd like to learn more about advertising on this show, please email info at allaboutbeer.com. Speaking of that, Shopify's already taken the cash register online, helping millions sell billions around the world. But did you know that Shopify can do the same thing at your retail store? Give your point of sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point of sale system, or use Shopify's POS, Go Mobile Device, for battle-tested solutions. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash drinkbeer. That's all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash drinkbeer to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash drinkbeer. December is a good month for reflection. I don't spend a lot of time in the homebrewing space, but I'm always delighted by the passion that folks bring to it. There's a lot happening in the space right now. And as they did last year, Drew Beecham and Denny Khan are here with insights on what they're seeing, brewing, and doing with homebrewing. Khan and Beecham are the longtime homebrewers and noted personalities in the space. They're also the co-authors of Simple Homebrewing and Experimental Homebrewing, which is also the name of the podcast they co-host. There's a lot to get into. Here's our conversation. Guys, welcome back to the show. This is now the second annual State of Homebrewing in America show, last year obviously being the inaugural and I'm 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 glad we're making a tradition out of this. So thanks for taking time out of your your busy podcast schedule and everything else that you guys are doing and articles and books and God knows what else. What else do you guys do? Is are speaking engagements back up or are homebrew clubs meeting again now that we're we're past? past uh, they are, COVID? but yeah, yeah, they are. But uh, I, I mean, honestly, I don't think we get that many speaking engagements to the homebrew clubs right now. Oh, I, no, no. I, uh, I'm going to be talking to a club in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, in about a month. But that's about the first one. Uh, I'm not getting invitations yeah. to travel around the world to speak like I used to, and I'm not, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Is, is it because you guys have spoken to every homebrew club? <laughs> it, there are some, could, there are some days when it feels like that. Yeah. It, I mean, it, it could very well be, I mean, it could be too, that because we're not releasing books, we're not as much in the forefront of everybody's mind as before, you know, so when they're going, 
who do we want to have speak to our homebrew club? It ain't us. Well, well rest easy, also- fellas. Being on this podcast this 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 time this year, it's gonna rocket you back up to that number. All one right, spot. man. I've, I've been waiting for my second round of fame. <laughs> Sorry, Drew, I interrupted you. You were gonna say something funny. Uh, no, he wasn't. No, it was in the moment. <laughs> we're gone. <laughs> we're past that moment. <laughs> I'm trying to think his first uh, claim to fame was maybe it was the Boy Scout photo from the 50s or whenever that was. Uh, that was the 60s, but yeah, wasn't that cute? Yeah. Yeah, so you're the, a Gerber baby. The- <laughs> uh, and soon enough, you'll be on one of those uh, those Smucker commercials on the Today Show, That's <laughs> which, which is pretty great. Yeah. It's just it's full circle. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Um, I hope I make it that long. The even if you're not out and talking with clubs, I, I I know that you're both still very immersed in what's happening in homebrewing and are still wonderful ambassadors for uh, for the hobby for for the uh, for the uh, you know that that part of the overall industry. So the question is the same this year as it was last year. What's the state of homebrewing in America right now? Flames, flames on the side of my face. <laughs> flames yeah. on the side of your face. <laughs> it's a clue, man. Get a clue. <laughs> um, I would say that the state of homebrewing maybe has stabilized a bit, and uh, the numbers of people homebrewing are not declining as quickly as they were a year or two ago. But on the other hand, it's still way down from before the pandemic. Uh, and part of that has to do with, you know, homebrewing and itself and people's lives and schedules. And part of it has to do with the fact that beer isn't the, the hot, cool new topic for everybody anymore. And combined with the fact that you now have a brewery on every corner, at least for the moment. So, yeah. yeah um, I think you know, we talked I, a little bit about this last year, but it's still, I mean, I, it's, it, it's still pretty acute. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I mean, and, and, and for me, the access to commercial beer really has nothing to do with why I homebrew, you know, mm-hmm. uh, I, I homebrew to homebrew, not to get the beer out of it. Right. Uh, but that's me. And, and, uh, you know, I don't represent the entire homebrewing demographic. Uh, so I think that, you know, probably the avail- easy availability of really good craft beer does affect some people. I mean, I know I've heard it said, uh, I think that, you know, maybe the fact that people are working so much, just trying to keep their heads above water might have something to do with it. Traditionally, when the uh, economy is weaker, people homebrew more to save money and for an activity they can do at home instead of going out. And I don't know if that's happening as much these days uh, because, you know, people are too busy maybe to homebrew. And also, like I said, you know, beer is not the the hot topic that it was a while back. Was, yeah, and, yeah, sorry, go ahead, Drew. Well, and I'm wondering, you know, because to Denny's point, oh, you know, the economy goes down in the toilet, homebrewing goes up. That's been a a truism right. for as long as I've been around uh, making beer at home. Right. And I wonder if some of the reason why we're not necessarily perceiving that, where we still see things like homebrew shops are closing, 
Uh, you know, I just lost one a couple months back. Um, I'm wondering if some of that isn't just because of those incredible heights we were at just not even five years ago. And so, yeah, it, it dipped down and whether or not we're going to come back up, I don't think we're there yet. Yeah, th- there was a, there was that meteoric rise in homebrewing for so long that, uh, you know, I mean, it was like in, in craft beer in general, it, it's hard to sustain that kind of growth. And eventually you're going to level off uh, to where just the real dedicated people are involved. And you're going to see the people who were doing it kind of like as a, as a curiosity, uh, you're going to see them going, okay, been there, done that. Let's move on to something else. Now I'm going to go make candles. Well, I also wonder, so since we've all been around beer for a long while. Yeah. And Denny, you remember like the AJ homebrew con, I mean, that used to be, that was hot poop. If we got 600 people, the thing. Right. And these past couple of years, of course, it's been down one because of the pandemic and then things afterwards. But those numbers are still so much higher than they were back when we were first getting involved. And so we have this perception of declining market in a way. But that declining market is still at a much higher base level than it was when when we started. And so I wonder if some of this perception that we, we have may just be, um, how do I want to put this? It, it it may just be biased by the heights that we've seen and not looking at the historical picture. Yeah, maybe, maybe, but I mean, you know, apparently when everybody is planning for those heights and planning for it to keep Mm -hmm. going exponentially and stuff, even just a a leveling off then becomes a decline. Well, yeah, because you no longer meet your expectations and when your expectations are no longer being met, then anything that doesn't look like success. All right. And it's, again, the reason why I'm saying like, sometimes I think we focus a little too much on the local min max and not the overall picture. And of course it is hard to plan for the overall picture, not the local min max. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think that, you know, one indication is that the AHA struggling with, with membership issues, uh, you know, people are just not joining the AHA in the numbers that they were before. Uh, oh. And, you know, to me, I guess I, I use that as an indicator. Well, I've, I've, I also think there's something going on there where, frankly, the people who are getting into homebrewing or the people who are the age to get into homebrewing don't seem to do the joining thing. Yeah, that, what, is, what, sure. is, what is the age to get into homebrew? You mean like legal drinking age? No, it seems like, I mean, a lot of times if you go and you look at those homebrew demographic things, uh, surveys that people have done, uh, the optimum age range, like where the real bump is, is somewhere between about 25 to 38 or okay. 25 to 40. Um, and that's, of course, going through a generational shift, right? It's, it's now out of Gen X and it's into the millennials and Gen Z are kind of starting yeah. to come into that area. Um and there is, at least when you look at sociological stuff where they try and break it down, there's some notion that, oh, you know, the the younger generations don't join things in the same way. You know, kind of like how our parents all joined the Elks, right? right? You know, yeah. they're members of the Rotary. And Gen X pretty much all looked at that and went, no. <laughs> yeah, we sure did. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so there's some of that same, there seems to be, I should say, some of that same reflection on the idea of joining a club about something like this taking the time away from home because to denny's point everybody's 
everybody's kind of got a lot of time pressure on them. So taking time away to go to a meeting for something that's social is a little out there in some ways. Can't we just do this online? Uh, and frankly, online is very attractive, you know, to a lot of people. Right. Yeah. So, uh, you know, my club, I think that my club specifically, I mean, you know, um, has not really experienced any decline in numbers or enthusiasm. Uh, I just went to my first club meeting in years uh, about a week or two ago. Uh, and I was really blown away by the number of people who showed up for that meeting and what they're doing uh, with their brewing and stuff like that. Uh, for the, the second year in a row, our club had the Oregon State Homebrewer of the Year, same guy as last year even. Yeah. So I, I, I think that there are like pockets and, and isolated instances where homebrewing is really going strong. But if yeah. you look at the the overall demographic, uh, that is not the case. Yeah, and to bring in my experience with the Falcons, you know, we cratered hard during COVID because yeah. things. And we went from having, say, 70 people per meeting in 2015, 2016, to, you know, I think now our meetings are averaging about 30. You know, so it's about down by half. Uh, but, you know, it's come back up from where it was at COVID. And my real hope is that since the club is going into its 50th anniversary year this year, yeah, uh, that we'll, we'll see some growth there. Yeah. I, I mean, you, you never know. I mean, and then you get back to the question that was always in the forefront, like when I was on the AHA governing committee, how do you get people interested in homebrewing? How well, that, do you and that's what I wanted to get to them. And that's yeah. what I wanted to, to, to kind of talk to you guys about, because the, the thing that I've always admired about the two of you, um, and there are other folks in homebrewing, is there was that period, I think, in the early 2000s, um, where, you know, 2004, 2005, where there were a lot of people who got into homebrewing with the idea, I'm going to go pro. Right. I'm I'm going to do this and then I'm going to work at a brewery and then I'm going to open my own brewery and I'm going to go from there. And we saw that manifest in what, 10, 11, 12, maybe into, you know, 13. Uh, and then from there, it seemed that the GoPro group started to level off and then kind of drop off. And I think that that was probably a result of all of the breweries that opened and people who might have gotten into home brewing to go pro could now just go intern at one of these new breweries that opened up. Or maybe they were watching the people who had done that starting to fail. Maybe, but that wasn't really <laughs> happening in the mid-teens. I, I, I think that we were see, starting to see signs of it because we were seeing uh, beer quality, a lot of places declining. Uh, sure. we, were see, we were seeing gimmick beer instead, you know, that, that people were like, oh, okay, I, I can sell this stuff. So, but yeah, I, I think that you're right. The big decline did happen later. So that goes back to what's the appeal and how do you get new folks in now? I yeah, know. A... Uh, go ahead, Drew. <laughs> Well, I was going to say, the real trick is that, I mean, if you stop and you think about it, uh, homebrewing is a, a fiddly little hobby in some ways. Yeah, you know, 
And it's been very populated by nerds for a long period of time who love to obsess over things and debate about it and tell you that you're doing it the wrong way um, if you're not doing it their way. Um, and the biggest problem about it is just, I, you know, doing this as a hobby to take the time is actually well worthwhile because of what you learn from it. Even if, you're, even if your beer isn't the world's best, you still learn a lot by doing it. Um, and I, I, I just struggle to wonder, because of course that's my mindset, is if that isn't, if that isn't the sort of thing you can teach, right? Or grab people with. And therefore, am I not, am I the wrong person to try and figure out how to promote this? <laughs> I know that uh, at least a few years ago when the maker culture was like the big buzz phrase, you know, mm-hmm. that, uh, that the AHA was really trying to tie into that. And that personally, that is one of the reasons that I homebrew because I enjoy making things for myself, seeing how they're made, trying to perfect my process uh, of making them and then sharing what I've made with other people. Uh, to me, to me, it, it's about the process and the beer comes down at the end of the line of reasons. So, you know, that might be something to, to think about in terms of trying to present homebrewing to other people. Uh, if they're the kind of people who enjoy doing things, then point out to them the, the satisfaction that you can get from, from doing this, you know, uh, when you hand somebody a, a beer and they take a sip and this big smile spreads across their face and, and you know, you made that happen. There, there is a, tremendous sense of personal satisfaction in that yeah uh, yeah go i ahead, mean Jim. you know it's funny because we just had this question pop up on the podcast uh, from a uh, a fellow who's actually over in denmark who is a homebrew and he was, he was like oh yeah uh, a bunch of my friends and uh, co-workers are wanting to learn how to make beer how do i do it without making it seem too nerdy yeah that's the <laughs> i think that's the challenge good luck yeah well, I mean, um, again, you can you can see it on Facebook. Somebody says, "Okay, I, I want to get into homebrewing. What do I need?" And people like we, you know, five thousand dollars worth all in one systems and you know conical jacketed fermenters and all this kind of stuff. And it's like you've already lost these people, right? Yeah. You want to talk to them about the beer and the experience because the equipment is really secondary get them involved in the hobby and then let them come to their own way of doing it, whether it's to buy fancy equipment or to keep brewing extract in a pot in the kitchen, you know, everybody has their own way of getting satisfaction from homebrewing. Yeah. It's kind of like if uh, somebody wanted to learn, somebody came up to you and said, John, I want to learn, learn how to make stew. Right. And the very first thing he said, well, okay, great. We're going to make cassoulet. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Instead of like teaching them how to do something simple, a lot of people just jump straight to the castle step, which is like, ah. well, right. I mean, um, if, if you want to do it right, come on. Um, <laughs> well, well, but I mean, it's, I mean, before we started rolling here, we were talking about, uh, uh, we just did an episode about growing mushrooms. And right. one of the things in that was I kept, I've, I've been wanting to do this for a while, but I kind of kept throwing myself off because I kept reading all this stuff about like uh, how to inoculate a and this that and the other and it was all very intimidating weird shit pardon my french um and 
talking with uh, Jesse on the program, she's like, "Oh no, don't do that. Start Jesse with this again. So, yeah, start uh, start with a start with a little box kit that you put on your kitchen countertop and you spray with water. You'll love it. Right. So it's yeah. a Mister Beer. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's exactly that. It's the non intimidating way to go about it. And the problem with any hobbyist uh, type of thing is hobbyists as a rule are obsessive nuts. Uh, and it's really hard to get back to that mindset of not overthinking it. Yeah. And, and, and to realize how you thought about it before you became obsessive about it. Uh, you know, I, I, I see this in so many aspects uh, of the beer business, uh, people overthinking things that, uh, are really just straightforward and easy. Benny, you said something earlier that um, has been rattling around in my in my, in my mind now on getting people interested, getting people involved, and having a home brewer hand you a beer uh, and starting that conversation, right? right? And in my mind, I pictured a home brewer handing me a 12-ounce brown bottle. And that was so jarring in my mind because nobody hands me 12-ounce brown bottles anymore. <laughs> and, and I'm wondering if the push towards cans in the last decade and a half or decade or so um, and and seeing craft in cans and the artwork and the, you know, et cetera, et cetera, has could that be playing a role in how people the new generation sees homebrewing? It, it's it's hard for me to speak to the new generation because I'm so far removed from it. <laughs> but I really don't believe so, John. Okay. Uh, a few years ago, what, maybe like 10 years ago, home canning was the big thing. Drew got a canning machine. Everybody had canning machines. You hardly even see that mentioned anymore. Uh, I think that the people that have them still use them. But again, especially during the pandemic, uh, cans became hard to get your hands on. Right. Uh, you know, yeah, bottles, you can go out and buy a six pack of beer and reuse the, the bottles. You can't do that with cans. So I don't, you know, and not only that, but I would say that probably most home brewers who have been at it for six months or more have gotten into kegging also, uh, you know, so the the brown bottle you don't see as much as as you used to anyway so I, I guess your contention was that that by handing somebody a brown bottle you're handing them something that they may not be familiar with and relate to it was that the, the not point necessarily we not familiar with it I, I think everybody is familiar with with 12 ounce bottles but it's just rarely seen yeah well in the craft space these days it smacks a little bit of uh, uh, old fuddy does in them. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, I would actually argue that the thing that does, uh, that I think does the, the beer industry and, and brewing, home brewing in general, uh, worse off than the switch over to cans. Because, by the way, I'm seeing a lot, a lot of cans nowadays in competitions, right? So I think there's okay. a very serious contingent of dudes, uh, uh, dude, dudes and dudettes out there who are uh, putting their beers into cans. But what I will say, I think what's more harmful than cans versus bottles versus kegs, uh, and I say this as somebody who switched to kegs about six batches in because bottling sucks, um, right. is sort of the monoculture in a lot of ways. And you, you'll hear, 
obviously a lot of old beer people like all three of us go, "Ah, can I get something other than an IPA maybe? Yeah. Right. And so I think not me. Well, yeah. (laughs) No, that's not true. You want a brown ale sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. You want those milkshake IPAs. We know it, Danny. Yeah. Yeah. Right. (laughs) But what I do think is sort of a problem is that because I think there's a perception for craft beer and then the homebrew as well with a lot of younger folks that it's all this IPA stuff, right? And I hear a lot of people who are sort of beer adjacent but not deeply into beer being like, I can't stand IPAs. They're too bitter, right? And sure. uh, and that becomes kind of part of the perception, which leads out of a – it leaves out a whole bunch of people like me who got involved in beer making from a culinary aspect. Uh, you know, if you start to think that all, all beer is just either going to be pale, fizzy yellow or it's going to be pale, fizzy yellow and with a ton of hops in it and no crystal ball allowed um, – there doesn't seem to be as much fun to have culinarily. You know, though, I'm not, I am not seeing the, uh, the big IPA hate that was around like, you know, maybe a year or two ago. Um, and, and it's very interesting. I, I don't see that IPAs are, are much less prevalent, but people don't seem to be complaining as much about the prevalence of them anymore. Oh, I can and, see your threads. Well, I know. I, I said as as much, not not at all. You know, um, and well, some I, of that may I, be because it's railing at the ocean. Well, yeah. it, it it could be, or maybe the people's tastes are are coming around to IPAs, or or maybe the market is slightly shifting away from that. I mean, you know, one thing we've talked about, Drew, is the fact that uh, Block Fifteen, one of my favorite breweries in the world uh, around here. Um, and it, they are really known for their hoppy beers, stuff like Sticky Hands, which is one of the best double IPAs you'll ever have the pleasure of putting into your mouth. But they just won GABF Gold for an alt beer, you oh. know? So they are like really kind of like diversifying away from IPAs. And I'm seeing that in, in other places also. Uh, well, again, we know where it's all going. At least around here. Where is it all going, Drew? Come on, John, you know, too. It's all going to rock beer. Everybody's going to be drinking the smoke. I was, I, was, I, I wish I had had a timer to see how long it was going to bring one, of, how long it was going to take one of you to bring, <laughs> to bring up the style. Yeah. Tens of people can't be wrong about rock beer. <laughs> I don't, I don't even know what it is. <laughs> oh, so Denny. You it's got so smoke. much. It's got so much lactose in it, Denny. It's all for you. You'd you'd love it. It's uh, it's it's great. Um, I, I I think that that's indicative of the fact that I, I have come around to firmly being interested pretty much only in home brewing, and I just don't really pay much attention to the commercial beer world anymore. Well, the commercial uh, beer world, as as Drew will tell you, is just completely enamored with Rauk beer right now. Oh, it's absolutely. Just, it's, yeah. Oh, all, smoke, Rauk, all the days. Rauk beer. I, I, my, my ears didn't pick that up. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. No, 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 no. Uh, I, I've seen a lot of people into Rauk beer these days and I ain't one of them. Yeah. Although, you know, it is funny. I did just, I, I was just this past Saturday at a brewery where they told me their best selling beer was their nine and a half percent Belgian triple. And Whoa. it wasn't even close. Whoa. And they're, and they're not a Belgian, but, Belgian oriented brewery, right? You know, it's not like we're talking like an Allagashi type thing here. Yeah. I, I love so, to see. I, 
that so was that's a, an, my... that's a really interesting thing, right? Because the triples I've seen on the rise in the last two, three years. And I think the best example, and I know you guys are out on the West Coast, so I don't know how much you're getting it, uh, but Victory these days uh, oh, with their with their Victory. monkey with their monkey beers yeah. um are it's triple based and they're uh-huh. doing you know fruit flavored ones and you know sour ones and imperial ones and things like that. And it's not just resonating with the, the beer nerds and you know the, the the folks who have been around for a long time like the three of us it is it's it's hitting the younger drinkers it's hitting the traditional macro drinkers as well uh that i think are looking for that high abv that high punch uh that comes with some of it and you know we've obviously also seen like the rise of 19 two cans in the in the right. market uh, uh in this past year um and you know the last two years i guess and brewers are putting eight percent plus into those uh-huh. packages where you have one and maybe you're done for the night but it's packing it's packing that punch there's something to be said for you know those not a, i mean triple's not really obscure but in the american beer industry it certainly is but there is yeah there, there's reason to believe that there's growth for that i mean allagash triple is is just a world-class beer it's great to drink but there's breweries in Florida, I'm trying to remember in Tampa, Copper Tail, um, uh-huh. their their best selling beer is a triple, or at least it was when I spoke to them, you know, a year and a half ago. Um, I Cigar City was going to put one out. There, that style actually has a little bit of juice behind it right now. Good, you know, golden, I, get I, you right in the giblies. That's good to hear <laughs> because before Christmas, I was in my favorite gourmet grocery store around here that used to have just a huge selection of Belgian beers. And I kept looking through the cooler, couldn't find anything. Finally asked the buyer and he said, yeah, people just don't really want those. They had delirium tremens in cans and one bottle of Roquefort 10. And it's like, that was all they had. And they used to have this huge selection of Belgian beers. And the the Beerstein, our good beer store here that is just has thousands of selections, their Belgian beer selection has gone down to maybe like eight or 10 beers. And I even asked about special ordering some, and they couldn't do that for me. So, Well, I think some of that's also the knockdown effect of uh, losing Shelton. Yeah, um, I was going to say yes. that. Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah of course. that lays into it as well. Yeah. But does that does that complicate in your guys' mind because we're not getting as many of the imports that maybe we used to, um, or with so much American choice, some of that stuff gets out of code or is just not ordered anymore? I I seem to remember homebrewers that I came up with, and I'm not a homebrewer, but you know, folks that I hung out with that that were doing it that were seeking out those imported examples to say okay this is what the best example tastes like and i'm going to yeah. try to do so it, it, is that hurting home brewing on some level i think uh, but uh, then again remember my job for the club is uh i'm the beer education officer aka the grand hydrometer and yeah it it's become really hard to be able to teach about a lot of classic styles because we don't see a lot of the classic examples anymore right. or or they're harder to find so, because right. yeah, all three of us, when we were coming up in the beer world, you know, it was like, okay, well, if you want to really know about beer, you got to go have a Chimay, you got to have this, you got to have that, you know, you got to make sure you get all these different beers, try these, and then you understand more about the world of beer. And now, like, it feels like half of those beers aren't available anymore. Yeah. At least and, half. Yeah. And so, yeah, it does feel like a real education problem to me, um, which again plays into the world of homebrewing. 
Uh, and then eventually that will have a knockdown effect into the professional world. I, I just, I, my hope is, is that we will, we will start to see a return of some of these flavors. Like you talking about triple me on the rise. Yeah. 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 Uh, We've seen, we've, we've seen a resurgence of classical West coast IPA. You know, not that IPA West coast IPA ever really went away, but you know, it kind of got its teeth kicked in for a while and it was much harder to find a classical IPA. And now we're starting to see more of those. And it's not just during celebration season. Right. (laughs) Yeah. 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 So, um, so, John, I, I was yes, going to, I was going to, I was going to kind of like diverge a bit here. You wouldn't okay. believe I would do that. Drew, especially you, uh, you mentioned victory a little while ago. Yeah. Uh, they have been one of my favorite breweries since I first discovered them like 98, 2000, something like that. So, um, here's my, here's my victory story, man. Okay. Uh, when I when I started homebrewing and started getting into beer about '98, I hopped on a. There wasn't much place to discuss it or read about it on the internet, so I hopped on a Usenet uh, news group called Rec Crafts Brewing. One of the members was Lou Bryson. Uh, Lou, the great Lou Bryson. The great Lou Bryson. We share a birthday, except that mine happened years before his. Um, Valentine's Day. You guys are Valentine's right. Day babies. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. The two of us. I know, and I know Lou Bryson's birthday. We ce- we celebrated in this house. Oh, cool. <laughs> well, you can add me in there and Terry Ferrendorf also. Well, Terry for sure. We'll definitely add her to the mix. <laughs> and, oh, ouch, ouch, ouch. Okay, back, uh, back, back, and, back to my story. <laughs> and Lou at least probably looks the best of all of you in a seersucker suit. Hundred percent. Oh, definitely, yeah. definitely. Okay, so so now you deserve this diversion I'm about to take. <laughs> so so Lou was extolling the virtues of Belgian beers and uh, and victory. Uh, I managed to find a few victory brews out here, and I had a brother who was uh, living just outside of Philadelphia at the time. And for Christmas one year, he sent me like uh, Old Horizontal and whatever the name of their Imperial Stout is, and a bunch of Golden Monkey and other stuff. And I was just absolutely in heaven. So around 2000, made a trip uh, out to Pennsylvania to visit my brother. Um, spent one night at Monk's Cafe. And it's like, you know, again, I'd just been into good beer for a couple of years. So it blew yeah. my mind. Decided the next day, my wife and I decided we would drive out to Downingtown and go hit Victory. And it turns out that we went on a day that they weren't open. Uh-huh. Um, you know, so... We pull up and I see some guys out on the loading dock and I go, you know, I'm, I'm like just a home brewer from Oregon, but I'm out here and I love your beer. Any chance I could look around? And I said, sure. And they went and got Bill Kovaleski to show me around. Uh, and I was, I was totally blown away. Here I was, this little guy from Iowa and barely into beer for two years. And, and Bill was showing me around the brewery. And after we got done, we sat down at the bar and he offered to start pouring us samples. You know, and we've had, you know, all these victory beers before Prima Pills, Hop Devil, the Golden Monkey, a bunch of stuff. And so I asked for a, a, a Golden Monkey and my wife said, oh, I really like hoppy beers. Cause, I mean, my, if, if a beer doesn't have 70 IBUs, my wife isn't interested in it. Uh, so Bill said, oh, here, let me get you one of our Hop Devils. And Paula, having had it before, said... Do you have anything hoppier? And I thought Bill was going to cry. Uh, you know, <laughs> he, 
his face just totally fell. Uh, and she ended up having a prima pills, which was definitely bitter enough for her. But uh, I, I always thought that it was it was great that my wife dissed Victory Beers and Bill right there to his face. <laughs> right, right to Kovaleski's face, too. Yeah. They they came out with a double IPA, if I'm remembering correctly, Dirt Wolf. Um, a couple of years later, Bryson will remember. I think I was there drinking it with him. I, I had a couple of fun sessions with with yeah, Lou at that, uh, at that downingtown uh, at that downingtown bar. It's uh, um, yeah, that's that's a fun. I like that story because it it I don't hear you don't hear too much of that these days as beers become more commonplace and you know there's the 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 worry of folks getting in and uh or you know if places aren't open you know they're just they're just not open kind of thing so um well they've become much fun. more yeah. they've become much more bars and restaurants now i mean it's also true that uh, it's the hospitality industry at full full throat you know and it's a side effect of the growth of everything you know yeah well you know what and and to me one thing that that story shows is kind of the camaraderie between beer geeks and brewers and stuff you know it's like bill didn't know me from adam it was a day off i mean it was a day they were close he was probably busy as hell doing important stuff that really had to get done yet he was willing to take half an hour out of his day to show me around you know and i just i've always been impressed by that that's really cool um as you guys start to think about you know ways of connecting the gap and with all of the you know the 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 proness uh or the, you know the pro part of the industry that's out there um these days i know earlier this year it was announced that the annual homebrewers conference is going to be combined with the annual great american beer festival um maybe not combined but held around the same time um yeah. thoughts on that i'm very trepidatious raven <laughs> yeah, Great, I mean, trepidatious. Okay. Well, it's. I don't think it's any secret that the AHA is in some dire financial straits, uh, and and Brewers Association too, for that matter. Um, I, I hope to see them figure out a way to pull through that. I think that maybe in, including it along with GABF they're hoping is a way to draw more people because they'll be able to attend both events uh maybe to cut down expenses because it'll be right there in Denver where they already have the the staff in place uh to deal with it um I'm not it, it doesn't particularly excite me uh I I have not I'm not a big fan of GABF it for me it's just too much you know um so the fact that i can do both gabf and and homebrew con together doesn't really do anything for me and i know that there are other people who feel the same way that i do and i know that there are people who are tremendously excited about the possibility yeah so i'm if if, if they happen simultaneously i can see some real staffing issues uh, for the AHA trying to run two major competitions at the same time. So a lot will come down to exactly what their plan is. And I have no inside info or clue about that. Uh, I, I would hope my, my hope is that it will happen and it will be done well and it will be successful and it will be a big boost for the AHA. 
Uh, my um, my thought on it is my my only real worry is that the homebrewers will get lost in the shuffle, right? Yeah, because because GMBF is a big noisy it's, thing. It's massive. That was my original thought. Was right. How, how does yeah? How does homebrewing sort of stand out? Yep. When it is that huge operation. Yeah. Well, and ironically, though, not on the negative side, but what I did think was interesting was the idea that doing this sort of returns both events to its roots, but just kind of flipped on its head. A little bit. Because uh, <laughs> for the people out there in the audience who don't know, GABF effectively started as what is the Pro Brewers Night at HomebrewCon. Right. It started as it started as the professional brewers pouring beer for homebrewers and then grew from there. Now it's the now it's the tail that's wagging the dog in this case. Right. So that like I said, I'm trepidatious about the homebrew is not getting lost. And I think that's going to be the big challenge along with, you know, only so much liver capacity and only, only so much judging capacity and only so much time that people can speak. Um, and, and only so many homebrew or only so many hotel rooms too, man. Yep. So also now, true. Uh, that if, if they run both of these events at the same time, they have some really big logistical challenges. I can't believe that nobody at the, uh, AHA or BA considered that. So I have to think that maybe they've considered how they're going to deal with those logistical challenges. And all I can say is I'm glad I don't have to do it. Yeah. yeah I, I, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic that if anybody can do it, the BA can do it because they have a lot of event planning experience, but it will be a challenge and we'll see how it goes. Yeah. Yep. They'll need a good plan. And so I hope that somebody's making that right now. Well, it's uh, coming up in October of 2024. More in a moment, but first, this message Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust, or is it a, <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify's sleek, reliable POS hardware takes every major payment method and looks fabulous at the same time. With Shopify POS, you can accept credit cards, mobile payments, and every other major payment method, all with low fees and transparent pricing starting on day one. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash drinkbeer. That's all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash drinkbeer to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash drinkbeer. And now back to my conversation with Drew Beecham and Denny Khan. Guys, uh, can we go to the mailbox? Can we can sure. we do a, 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 sure. a, 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 a we, got, we got a letter, which is not something that this particular show often gets. We don't we don't get people <laughs> who often write in. Uh, but I received and mail from some flounder. Right. <laughs> I, I received a note um, uh, a couple of weeks ago as I was starting to think about putting together this second annual conversation with you guys. Uh, and it, it it was sort of the impetus to get the email rolling to 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 get us all together. But um, from the drink beer think beer mailbag, this is uh, it came through to info at allaboutbeer.com. com. Uh, hello. I wonder if you might be able to help me with an unusual question. If someone wanted to make beer in their home in 1912, what sort of equipment would they have used? I'd be very grateful for any help you could please give me. Uh, best wishes, Deborah. 
Oh, that's easy. That didn't change yeah. a lot. <laughs> no, I mean, oh. so you need a glycol jacketed conical. <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. Micro controlled yeah. with micro controlled fermentation. Yeah. The fi- yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, right. No, back then, pretty much everybody who was making beer at home was using malt extract. So pretty much in terms of equipment, what you would need is a kettle, a spoon, and most people were fermenting like in big ceramic pickle crocks and stuff like that back then. So or possibly a carboy, but that might have come just a bit later. Uh, so basically the equipment back then would have been exceedingly simple and stuff that they already had around. Uh, nobody was going out and putting together homebrew systems. Yeah. And I can speak from this, from experience with both what my grandfather did now, admittedly at a later date, he was much more in the 1940s, 1950s when he was doing this. Uh, and also what you read from HL Minkin, because HL Minkin was actually a big homebrewer and he was yeah. more contemporaneous with this question. Uh, and yeah, Denny's absolutely right. It, basically started with malt extract, which you could buy in the grocery store, not just for making beer, but for making bread and all that sort of fun stuff. Right. Um, and you could buy hopped extract or you could buy hops, but the hops were terrible quality. And but, but if you, nobody knew they were ter- terrible quality because they no. had nothing to compare them to. Yeah. But then you go and you read uh, Mencken and Mencken and all of his correspondence with his various friends. And I think he also wrote an article for the Baltimore Sun back in the day uh, about how to make beer. His big complaint was the quality of yeast, because uh, at the time, people would basically just use bread yeast. They would use uh, fresh baker's yeast to right. go make their beer, which, I mean, we still see today in some of the farmhouse traditions, like up in uh, Scandinavia and whatnot. Um, but that's what they would have done. The crock, to Denny's point, it would have been a pickle crock, and you can hear mine here. I still have no, one. Okay. We'll take your word for it. Yeah, that's... I, I, I still have I still have a pickle crock, although I use. You could have touched crock. anything in your home office right now and called <laughs> right. it a pickle crock, and we would have been uh, like, "Oh, sure, of uh, course." Uh, well, right. Great you, acoustics, no, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But the they would have used pickle crock, but and where we're like all obsessive about using airlocks and all this other sort of stuff, they would have done like what my grandfather did, which was double up some cheesecloth, throw it over the top, and rubber band it around. Yeah, that's right. Um, and, and you have to remember. Unlike the modern homebrewer, where this sort of one, not only the obsession with trying to make different styles of beer, there wasn't quite the uh, obsession with making the most perfect beer that you could at home. Right. (laughs) The idea was alcohol, but I mean, an alcohol delivery device. Yeah. Yeah. You you go, you go back in history and that's traditionally what was happening. You know, as long as it was drinkable and didn't make you sick and had alcohol, then that was close enough. Yeah. And just to keep in mind, I mean, obviously they didn't always have malt extract, uh, you know, but by 1912, they would have in the 1800s, you would have seen people actually starting with grain. uh, And you see, you see that in recipes as well. But yeah, by the time there you're was... in 1912, 1912 period, you've got the same thing happening there that you're going to see all the way up until the rise of modern homebrewing, which is extract, sugar, hops, and water in a kettle with fresh yeast. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and, and then extract actually has been around since the late 1700s. Right. Uh, no, no, but, but if you go and you look at the, the recipes from the 18th and 19th century, I mean, they're largely using grain. 
Uh, and that may, that may be because uh, they couldn't, they didn't have extract, or they didn't have access to the malt extract. I mean, you know, you look at the some of the traditional recipes from George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, Ben Franklin. Sure, those had grains because that's what they had available to them. Uh, and molasses stores, and the syrup and <laughs> yeah, right. yeah, exactly. Uh, there was no place you could go out and get malt extract in the United States at that point. Uh, that came later, but that. I think in other parts of the world, um, extract may have been being used at that time. Yeah, but if you go and you look at uh, old recipes from that period of time, uh, you'll see that, I mean, it falls very much in line with what the Aussies would call a kitten kilo type of situation. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, so at the time, very simple, not all that similar to what uh, people would have done all the way up until, say, about 1990-something, when people, when people really started to get... Uh, their knickers in a twist about, oh, it's got to be from grain because we've got to be like the professionals. <laughs> but yeah, from from that period of time, it would have been very similar to what uh, even I would have done when I first started homebrewing. Right. Uh, so yeah, malt extract, hops, water. They would have used uh, pickle crust. Yeah. Yeah. And a pickle crock and some cheesecloth. Call it a day. Right. Yeah. And I then uh, pro uh, probably flip top bottles or the old cork crown caps. Yeah, or I mean, you know, I've I've seen people uh, like from the '30s and stuff, like actually using like this like hammer kind of device to to cap bottles. I have one of those. It's terrifying. Really? I bet so, man. <laughs> I would want to like be behind a safety shield yeah. or something can, like that. Can can, can can you give us the sound of what 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 that sounds like in your office right <laughs> yeah. now, Drew? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, actually, unfortunately, it's in the cabinet over there. So oh. I can't get it right now. He could he could make any sound and say that's it and we would yeah just a loud banging sound. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I did I did use that thing once and that was enough. Yeah, I bet, man. I, I I don't think you could get me to do that. And I do crazy stuff all the time, fellas. Yeah. As we as we thanks for for answering that and thanks for writing in, Deborah. Uh, you too can send in a letter to the All About Beer mailbag it's just info at allaboutbeer.com um or they should actually probably send you guys homebrewing related questions or they can send them to you and you can forward them on that's right. i'm just gonna i'm gonna be your uh uh your correspondent secretary now which i'm <laughs> I'm, right. I'm, I'm i'm happy to do um, john Hall post office yeah as long as it comes with vision and dental i'm 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 in <laughs> um so i can't I, see and i can't hear and i can't taste <laughs> Exactly. Um, as we wrap up here, uh, we've talked about IPAs, we've talked about triples, we've talked about Rauk beer. Uh, Alt made an appearance uh, briefly in the in the conversation. Is there a style in 2024, um, or is there a beer in 2024 that is largely uncommon for each of you that you're hoping to make sometime in the new year? Oh, make uh, make your home. Yeah, well, we're talking uh, about people. probably yeah. not. You know, and I've I've got to tell you that I did. I all right, did then let's let Drew answer. Yeah, no, it's <laughs> <laughs> no. Tell us what. Yeah, um, I was gonna say I I did all my experimenting with beer and styles and things that I wanted to make, and probably like the first ten years I was brewing, and ever since then. I have settled into what my tastes are and what I enjoy making and, and pretty much do the same thing. 
Sure, but I is can, there is, is there something that you enjoy that you haven't made for a while that maybe you want to make again? It doesn't have to be batshit crazy or anything. It's just a, yeah. Um, as a matter of fact, my next beer up that I haven't made for way too long is a triple. Yeah. Okay. See, that answers the question. That's that's all the you know. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I I thought I was trying to think of something like out there that I hadn't made, but yeah, I, I, just a very basic triple. We, we're lucky to have uh, how many pound how many how many pounds of lactose do you use in a five gallon batch of triple? About thirty. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> For, for uh, anybody who's listening thick. who doesn't understand that's, home recipes, please don't do that. That's thick. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, no, uh, uh, well, we're fortunate to have various malting companies sending us samples frequently. And uh, a triple is a very simple recipe. At least mine is. It's pills, malt, and sugar is pretty much uh, all the fermentables. So it's a, it's a great way for me to try out new malts and find out what they taste like while at the same time making a beer that I really enjoy and the rest of ingredients are, are repeatable. So I, I really am able to get kind of a handle on what that malt is doing for it. Nice. Drew, what about you? Well, I'll go a little unusual since he went a little on point. Um, I, I keep thinking <laughs> Imagine about... that. I know, right? I keep thinking about uh, a Grazer or Grodzitski, and I've had them before. And the ones yeah. that some of the ones I've had have been utterly fantastic. Uh, you know, like they pop into the glass with that super effervescence, and they feel just so bright and lively, even with the smoke background. Like, yeah, they and there's smell, no real smell like an ashtray. No, they do no, not smell like an no. ashtray. <laughs> Polish champagne, man. Yeah. Um, so I really, I really would love to get my hands on around that as a style because i've had plenty of bad examples of it uh-huh but man when you get a good one it is a joy i i will say one of the 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 more fun beers that i've had this year uh that i that i that i thoroughly enjoyed and kept going back for was a bourbon barrel aged graditsky that wall and paul pack brewery in pennsylvania did and they're serving it at the Denver Rare Beer Festival, which is adjacent to GABF or happens at the same time as GABF. And uh, that was it's three and a half percent. And it was just delightful. But the the barrel character, I think it spent all about all of like six and a half minutes in the barrel. So as to not <laughs> overwhelm the the base yeah, beer. Right. But um, uh, yeah, it, it, it was it was fun. Yeah, I don't predict that as being a hip and hop beer style for the the year, but I just kind of want to tackle it because, yeah, I mean when they're when they're done right, they are oh, yeah. a, a lovely little thing. Oh well, yeah, see, no, they're they're great for. Yeah, there's that video making the round right of um i i want to say it was at miller field uh in wisconsin of uh um somebody just dunking their hot dog in their beer <laughs> and <laughs> it's like yeah God. there you go there's your there's your there's your smoky delights right there yeah. no thank you <laughs> but Drew, that, 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 that sounds like something out of barton house you know, your, your desire to brew that beer kind of goes back to where we were talking about, uh, about the reason that you homebrew. I mean, number one, you can make stuff that you can't buy or find easily. But number two, you have the challenge and the pleasure of trying to perfect something and, and, and make it right when it often isn't. And again, that challenge is, to me, a, a major portion of what makes homebrewing great. 
Yeah, I guarantee you I'm going to screw this up. Well, I know. I get, yeah. Well, who doesn't screw up something that they haven't made before the first time around? I like to think that I'm good enough and powerful enough and, and skilled that I wouldn't do that. But And darn it, people like you. Exactly. Unfortunately, I'm human. <laughs> um, fellas, this is always a delight. Let's let's get it on the books for the third annual next year. But you got it for man. now. I'm, I'm going to say thanks for thanks for being on the show. Thanks for sharing your insights. And uh, if, if I don't see you uh, in Denver, I hope to see you beforehand. Well, uh, thank you for paying the bar tab. Uh, yeah, I mean, of course. That's well. While everybody else was focusing on home brewing when I was coming up, I was focusing on running up and then paying really decent bar tabs. So that's that was my <laughs> early beer skill that I have maintained, and I'm I'm very good at it now. Well, you know, <laughs> it, it, it's a real pleasure to find a show that has low enough standards they'll let us be on it. What have you been home brewing? Let me know. You can email me. It's John Hall. That's J-O-H-N-H-O-L-L at allaboutbeer.com or share with me on Twitter or X or whatever at John underscore Hall. And don't forget that for the very best homebrewing content out there, check out BYO Magazine. You can learn more at BYO.com. You can also go visit allaboutbeer.com where you can check out the podcast page, the merch page, and read great new content as well as the archives going back to 1979. And All About Beer is also on social media at All About Beer. If you're interested in supporting journalism in the beer space, email us at info at allaboutbeer.com or simply go to patreon.com slash allaboutbeer. And speaking of that, here is a quick word from this episode's sponsor. You know that's the sound of another sale on your online Shopify store. But did you know that Shopify powers selling in person too? That's right. Shopify is the sound of selling everywhere. Online, in store, on social media, and beyond. Connect with customers inline and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug and play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash drink beer. That's all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash drink beer to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash drink beer. One more time, don't forget the All About Beer podcast channel. Just search and subscribe on your podcast platform of choice. Steal This Beer has new episodes every Monday, and the BYO Nano podcast comes out on the 15th of every month. And as for this show, Nate Schweber does the music, Jeff Quinn designed our logo, and I'm John Hall. New episodes release every Wednesday, and that's when I'm going to be back again to drink beer and to think beer.